Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Much of the style of our emotional and psychological lives come from the social and political environments in which we live. When these environments change, so too does it change the nature and quality of the lives of its citizens. One key example of this is the impact on gay couples as same-sex marriages are now becoming legal. I thought it would be interesting to explore the effect that these changes are having on the gay community and especially the psychological impact these changes are having on the older gay people. Donald Cavanaugh from Lake Worth, Florida, has worked extensively with the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community. Mr. Cavanaugh, thank you so much for being with us. I was speaking to a young man who told me that he was gay, so I asked him what it was like being gay in this day and age compared to what he had learned about it insofar as the life of a gay man in the past. He told me it was confusing because, on the one hand, he was so pleased to hear about the same-sex marriage laws coming into being, but he wasn't sure how much difference it would make. He likened it to what he thought was similar to when people were afraid to admit that they needed antidepressants. He said he would like to talk to all the successful lawyers, bankers, teachers, etc., who are gay and making real contributions to our community to see how they looked at all this. So that in turn raised the question about what's happening in the older gay community. That is, those who have seen the changes, are they sitting back with quiet smiles, much in the manner that those who watched the civil rights movement from a couple decades ago, that finally they will be free to be what they are? Does all of this movement make the older gay person, perhaps even the younger gay person, more or less nervous? There's question about whether these changes are just surface or really deep. Again, a good question. Up until the AIDS crisis in the 80s, being closeted, being out of sight was really the best thing that you could do, and we lived that way. When the AIDS crisis came along, you really couldn't die from AIDS in the closet. You were out. So that brought visibility that we had never expected. I'm assuming that the younger gay person is viewing all these social changes much different than the older gay person who went through all the changes. Is it really different? Well, one of our problems for gay kids, particularly, is we don't teach them anything about gay history. They don't know that there is a history of gay people who have contributed to society, and particularly to the United States society. Most of them don't even know what's going on in the marriage front. They're being acculturated to be essentially broken straight people, and nobody's teaching them anything different. The invisibility of homosexuality in our society is still rampant, even with the gay marriages and all the other stuff that has caused some visibility, but basically we're still invisible. Go to any social services agency, go look for a reference to gay people being in their clientele mix, you don't find it. If you go to the school district and you put in the word gay in the school district website, you find their policies, but you don't find anything else about gay people, gay kids, gay, any things that are available for gay people because there's nothing really available anyway. Roughly 7% of our population. We say between 4 and 10% because we don't have an exact handle on it. A very large number of people, a very large number of kids, a very large number of older people, are they looking, from your perspective, at the same-sex marriage movement as a psychological safe harbor that they can be open about their relationships and committed to each other? You know, that's a good question because there has been greater visibility for people who have come out and gotten married, if you will. But it's still almost, it's an invisible situation. I got married to my husband in Massachusetts in 2010. We moved back to Florida and it's just as if we were roommates again. There's no recognition of our marriage. And outside of the state of Massachusetts and the other states that recognize gay marriages, there's no recognition. The federal government doesn't recognize us. We couldn't file joint taxes because that's federal government. If I die, he 
he can't get my social security because that's federal government. There's no support, even with the marriage. It also would seem confusing that one branch of government recognizes the union and the other branch doesn't. Well, it's a unique situation. It's probably the first time, I'm not engaged in constitutional history, but it's probably the first time or one of the first times where the federal government has actually said we're not going to recognize states' rights as far as marriage is concerned. Historically, the federal government has recognized these laws from the state and honored them. But this is the first time in 96 they said, no, we're not going to honor this if the state says that same-sex couples can marry. We, we don't agree. Talking to you at another time, you made a very interesting comment that a lot of the people who could get married in these other states are choosing not to. Historically, gay people have said that marriage is an antiquated institution and we want to change it or we don't want to participate in it. But as we've approached civil rights as the thing that we're seeking, marriage becomes an obvious place to seek civil rights and we'll take it on your terms, if you will. You know, this is how heterosexual people define marriage. We want to participate in that because not having the option not to, we're denied the ability to do so, but not having the option makes us second-class citizens. And I don't want to be a second-class citizen, and I don't want all of the gay kids who are being born today to grow up being second-class citizens. It's more difficult. They're invisible. When they are discovered, if you will, it can be a horrible situation. We know that about 25 to 26 percent of gay kids are thrown out of their families' homes when the parents find out that they're gay. And their suicide rate is, is frightfully high. It's very high. And it's interesting to note that it doesn't get lower when you get older. Suicide rate among gay people in the workforce is still about the same rate, four to five times higher than among heterosexuals. So even in the older person who seemingly or hopefully is more settled with their sexuality in life and hopefully with other careers and so on, we're still seeing this marked increase in suicidality. Yes, yes. And I haven't seen what's happening among seniors. I'm sure there's probably some tendency to having extreme situation there also. Is there a national gay movement similar to that run by Martin Luther King? And the reason I ask is because that gave a lot of people a sense of connection. It gave them a lot of identity. I'm wondering if that's what's missing. You're, you're invisible. We're invisible. We look like the people from whom we come. So we, we look like we belong in the community which is essentially rejecting us and pushing us out of the community. So that's one issue. We now define ourselves as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, and two-spirit. That doesn't sound like a very unified front. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of words. Yeah, and if the L doesn't like what the G is doing and the G doesn't care for the T issue, it just becomes a nightmare. I don't see us pulling together in the same way that the African-American community pulled together back in the civil rights days. Is that in part, and again, I'm using what we spoke about before, and I thought it was fascinating. You said to me that one of the major differences, and it's obvious, is that the gay community doesn't have children by and large. Well, our community structure is different. I did go and look it up in Webster's, and community means any congregation or gathering of people who have similar interests. We have a community in that regard. But the African-American community was different than the gay community. It was whole families came together. It was the entire culture, the entire community of people came together and gelled in a, an organized mass, if you will, with the help of white people whom we needed because a minority can never win in and of itself. We need the support of the majority. So that enabled people to pull together and, and create this movement that ultimately was successful. I don't see how we can possibly do this in LGBTQQIS squared. Because it's too fragmented. It's too fragmented. As a human being, is my first loyalty to the community from which I came as a member of that community, or is it to this group of people whom I didn't know prior to coming out and becoming a part of this group?
it speaks to a forced isolation which can cause a lot of problems psychologically if some of the social environment really changed, would a lot of these psychological problems also change? And what frightens me as I go into this question, and I don't want it to be suggested that the gay community has a higher rate of psychopathology than the non-gay community. A lot of it has to do with the social environment. Right. Yes, we're victims of society to a very large extent. We have more issues, but it's because it's imposed on us from the outside. And it starts so young. We've talked about my belief that we start putting children in the closet around age three when they express gender variance and the family's not able to deal with the gender variance and the cultural mores say we've got to protect this child from being who he or she is, but we also have to avoid having this blot on the family escutcheon, if you will. So we put them in the closet at three. What a trauma. Sometimes they don't come out of the closet for their entire life. Ever, yeah. How do you approach, shall we say, an older person, someone in their 30s or 40s, who may be coming to terms with with their real sexual orientation? How do you approach them in helping them find the balance? The first thing I do is suggest that they find a good therapist because it's going to take some hand-holding and that it's better than friendship-type hand-holding. Because our isolation and our ostracization takes place individually, each one of us is complete individual unto ourselves, right? I mean, let me pick up on that because that's an interesting point. We tend to clump. It's so obvious, but I think too often you get clumped as a group, a bunch of gays who are not seen as individuals. Yes, well, that's part of the problem of being ostracized, isn't it? It's part of the problem of not fitting into the community the way that the community defines itself and defines what they want from their participating members. The notion of bullying is often used more frequently than not in reference to children and teenagers. I would imagine the older gay community also feels it, but maybe is used to it or just doesn't respond to it. Unfortunately, bullying goes right on from childhood through adulthood through seniorhood. Do you feel that the same-sex marriage rules are going to make any profound, significant difference in our society? It will be interesting to see what comes of it. As I said, I got married in Massachusetts, and when my husband and I lived in Massachusetts for the week that we were on our honeymoon up there, we walked around holding hands, and theoretically, people in Massachusetts are used to this because they've been having marriages up there since, I don't even remember what year it was, I think it was 2006. And yet it still caused a great stir when people would see two men, particularly two older men, if you will, holding hands. How do you change that? Do you think it will take a generation or two of younger gay people growing up through this before more and more of them get married. Again, the older person may be hesitant to get married because it, it's too public for them. So it may be a couple years, generations, before it becomes more widely accepted and more widely done. It's possible. I don't remember the statistics on how many people, what percentage of the gay population is married now. Many gay people won't raise their hand when somebody asks how many gay people are here. We don't know how many gay people there are. We don't know exactly how many, what positions they're taking on any of these issues. So the question seems still very intense. The changing of the same-sex marriage laws is not going to have the impact that one anticipates them to be because the community is not up to the changes? It's going to have an impact. Visibility is what causes impact. That was the big thing about AIDS. We had to be visible. In one of my workshops, I have a picture of two men kissing that I put up in the mm -hmm. slide, and inevitably there's a gasp from the audience when the picture goes up. And one young woman who was at one of my presentations raised her hand, and she said, 
I reacted to that picture because I've never seen two men kissing before. But if I saw two men kissing a couple of times, I'd get used to it and it wouldn't make any difference. Wouldn't it be nice if everybody understood that? I'm hard-pressed to think of a movie where a gay character said, I love you, to, to his partner or her partner. I'm sure there must be one or two, but very few. What does a young gay person use as a role model to show his or her love for their partner? Well, the role model that we have for that is our parents, right? Really, when you come right down to it. Those aren't always great because, what, 50-plus percent of heterosexual marriages fail. It's unbelievable. Outside of the family that's a heterosexual relationship, where are there models of what it could be to be gay? Most of the television shows and movies are stere show stereotypes. It's not as bad as it used to be, but it's, it's still pretty horrible. So the same-sex marriage laws may not be that fix. Well, I don't see it as an instant fix. I see it as a fix over time. It will contribute to the overall fix as more and more of us come out. California has passed the requirement that gay history be taught in the schools. This is a major step forward. If we can get that through other school districts, it's going to be astounding. But so many people equate homosexuality with sex, with physical behavior, that we've got a hill to climb to get over that so that people will start being willing to incorporate the information in the school district. Again, the statistics between 4 and 10 percent. I'll stick with the average of 7. 7. I can't deal with 7. I go to 10. <laughs> but a very large portion of people need this because they're going to wake up one day in their lives and they're going to realize that they are not straight. They're not heterosexual. How do they build a good self-image? How do they feel confident about themselves? How do they learn to love and be generous and charitable? And what's really interesting, always intrigues me, that the people that I know who are heterosexual or homosexual, their ability to be charitable and do honest work and so on and so on, there is no difference. But there are so many kids who don't know that. Right. Well, we're all human beings when you come right down to it. As Shylock in The Merchant of Venice says, if you prick me, do I not bleed? I'm you. When you talk to kids, when you talk to teenagers, again, getting away from the older folks, how do they look at the same-sex marriage laws? Or are they, as you said, are they not even really aware of it? Or do maybe they don't care? It's a mixed bag. There are some people who are concerned about it, small percentage. But, I mean, just look at the electorate in the United States as it is. How many people come out to vote? What percentage of the overall population actually engages okay. in any information or any kind of activity? So we probably represent about the same percentage, but we're a smaller number to begin with. Okay. And the people who are your age, retirement age almost, right? Almost. Key word is almost. The people who are your age, how do they look at it? With skepticism, with pride, with a feeling of success? To getting married? Yes. A surprising number of people of my age have gotten married, but it's really, again, a real mixed bag. Many people of my generation and older, if you will, come from a history of really serious oppression. When I was coming to grips with being gay, you could be arrested for being gay in most states. You surely could be fired. You could, at least you can't get arrested anymore. So there was that whole stigma about being gay that's different than it is now, but we cling to those things. I can remember moving to New York in 1973 and being amazed they had gay bars, because in Central Mass, where I came from, they, they didn't have gay bars per se. They wanted to place that would welcome gay people on certain nights of the week. Which, again, speaks to the emotional impact all this had on you back in the early 70s, and the kid who is now 20, 30 years old is living a very different life, and it's going to affect them differently because the environment is different. It's not immune or exempt from all the problems, but so different. It just must be a fascinating transition. The things that have happened in the last 
the last few decades, the Obama administration, the changes that have taken place for gay people. I don't know if you heard Hillary Rodham Clinton's speech. She called on the world to recognize that gay people have a first-class birthright, that we are equal to everybody else. And this is astounding. She, as a representative of the United States of America, called on the world to recognize gay people and to make the world safer for them. The lesson for all of us, I think, and why I so appreciate you talking honestly about this, is that we tend not to think about the social activities around someone and how that affects their life's choices, what options are given to them. And if we look at history, time after time after time, you see a bullying, a discrimination. You saw the civil rights movements with King. and History is full of a thousand such examples. We're seeing one now, and I think it requires that we all be more sensitive and more alert to what's going on. These are enormous social changes, and I'm hoping that there will be this, I'll go with your statistic now, 10% of the people will have a better life because of it. Well, one of the things I really feel that we need to start focusing on is educating parents and potential parents to get them aware of the fact and sensitized to the fact that they could have a gender-variant child who will possibly grow up to be gay, and that that's not a pathology. It's a good thing. We need to get started down at that level, in my opinion, because so often when a child exhibits gender variance at a very young age, the family reacts with the cultural mores, which says, put them in the closet, get them out of sight. It's an embarrassment to them. It's an embarrassment to us. That bullying then carries forward into the schools and everywhere else, and it's not conscious bullying on the part of the parents. Which raises also the very key issue that when someone goes into psychotherapy or speaks to a counselor or anybody where there's investigation of one's own emotional life, there should at least be an attempt to establish if there is a sexual variance at play. And again, 10% means that one out of 10 is going to say, <laughs> is going to say yes, it, it needs to be asked. I think many people do not. Why would they? I mean, there's been no reason for them to do it yet. Nobody's compelling them. Nobody's paying them to do it, right? Part of a proper mental status evaluation. But it hasn't been included. Has it been included in any documentation that you're aware of? Formal documentation, not that I'm aware of. The informal documentation, so to speak, came from enlightened teachers who would often say, well, find out about their sexual history. I was once talking to a gynecologist, and he was asking me how I knew so much about the sexual history of the patients. But I said, I asked. Right. He says, well, I don't. And I guess it wasn't necessary for him to ask if there were certain levels of medical problems, but other levels clearly would require knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. Fascinating topic. A lot of it is that people in the professions are afraid to ask the questions. We're homophobics, not just a homophobic, we're a sexophobic society. And how do I ask the question? And will I embarrass somebody if it's a straight person and I've asked the question, have insulted him. If it's a gay person and I've asked the question, have I put this person into a fight or flight situation? Until somebody in the field says, this is how you do it, who's going to start? I mean, you may do it. I know a couple of other therapists who ask the questions, but most of them don't. And I do workshops for people who are in therapy training and stuff like that. And I still get responses on the evaluations saying none of this applies. And these are people who are going to be dealing with other people's lives. How do we get 25 to 30 percent of the gay population off of alcohol? That's unbelievable. They didn't choose to be that way, though. They were put in the closet at a very early age, and this was a way of medicating themselves from the pain. And some of them start very young. Donald Kavanaugh is a gentleman who has worked with the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community for many years. And I don't wish to be redundant, but yet I have to because we're talking about a very large segment of our population. 
I think 10% is significant enough to warrant some attention. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you.